0: It's all right, ma. I'm only podcasting. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Welcome to the Swim podcast. I'm Nerdy Mess, Is Jules Pistano, and with me is Suffolk's finest, Prentice Mitchell. <laughs> yep, that's me. Uh, we're going to take you through the good, bad and the ugly of uh, music and TV, film and gaming. We should probably just stop. We don't really do news, but uh, we just kind of have a chat about things that pop into our head. Not been the cutest of news weeks anyway. Um, but the Shang-Chi, the Shang-Chi trailer dropped yesterday. mm mm-hmm. yeah, uh, It was, was yesterday, wasn't it? Was it was it, yesterday, It was yeah. yesterday. I just had some interesting thoughts, especially on some of the music.
1: When yeah, it, I mean, away. considering we do a podcast, literally, about this stuff, I committed the sin of not actually w- trying to find what the track was in the trailer, now that I think about mm, it. Yeah. I completely forgot to look at the track. It might not have been a track, it might have been score. I don't think it was. There was, like, a hip-hop track in the trailer. Okay. I- I'll Google it now while you're talking.
0: Yeah, so, um... Yeah, and the trailer, there's a kind of, it's very interesting because uh, it's basically, it's, it's got like traditional kind of Chinese instrumentation, like the pipes and like, you know, the thing, the thing that's in like all kind of Kung Fu movies, but then it has like a trap beat underneath. Yeah. Um, kind of if, like Migos did Enter the 36 Chambers. What I find interesting is that it very much, this is kind of shaping up a little bit like Black Panther in terms of it like being a celebration of like Asian culture through some of the premier like Asian-American talent on screen. Mm. And like it's very, it reminds me a lot of that that sort of track reminds me of like Kumonga's theme from Black Panther, where you've got like the African elements, but then you've got like the trap underneath. Right. So it's kind of bringing that Asian and American, like the African and American that Black Panther did. Yeah. I thought that was really. I, I was surprised how much I really enjoyed that music. Although maybe maybe I'm being a little bit voyeuristic in terms of like obviously my connection with Asian culture is lesser than it is with African American culture. Perhaps I'm not viewing it with the same references. as I should, maybe. Maybe if someone was actually, you know, who, you know, actually Asian-Americans might be like, oh, that's a little cheesy. Mm. In the same maybe. Way, I don't know. Not that not like I found all the, the, the African interpolation in Black Panther cheesy, but mm. perhaps my sort of Western era is a, like sort of like... Yeah.
1: Well, I think because of like kind of Western American fetishization, that kind of stuff for like Chinese culture has been overdone by the Americans. Whereas in terms of like like African influence, I wouldn't say that's exactly something that's been overdone in Western cinema. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot of, like, pastiches of, like, kind of, you know, East Asian cinema in, in the West. There's yeah. a big fetishization of, kind of, you know, especially through, like, martial arts and all that.
0: Mm. Um, and hip-hop as well, like, the irony. The irony of, like, hip-hop, a lot of hip-hop culture, like, taking bits, some some might say, exploiting, like, some, some of the, like, Asian tropes or, like, martial arts tropes. Like, like Wu-Tang that I just referenced. Yeah. And the idea that you know, you're putting, like, hip-hop, which is, you know, originally an African-American art form, with asian stuff so it's kind of that yeah similar vibe.
1: so the so the track pete while it hasn't been officially confirmed people generally seem to lean towards it being an unreleased song by a hong kong based rapper called jackson wang okay. um who i believe by the looks of it is on the record label 88 ryzen which i think has a lot of like asian artists on it oh, i think okay. um oh what's his name um he's the youtuber joji the, oh, he's, he, he used to be, go by the name um, Filthy Frank on YouTube, <laughs> and he's, he's now a, an artist in his own right called and jo- He's on 88 Rising. Um, Rich Bryan. Oh, I've got Rich Bryan. He's, I mean, he's my, on
0: 88, 88 Rising. I've only got two reference points for Asian American rap, yes. Yeah. And one of them is Rich Bryan.
1: Yeah, so there's yeah, so there's a few of them. Um, so, yeah, I think that label sort of specialises in, in kind of Asian rappers and stuff. So, But, yeah... Um, so he yeah, so people believe it to be Jackson Wang, who I'm not really familiar with, to be honest. No, no. It's a pretty cool track.
0: Yeah, but that's, I I kind of almost prefer that. Like mm. having, having someone who you might discover through that and that's kind of Oh yeah, one hundred percent goes along with the thing if you're gonna I don't know how much this film's gonna do it, and have one sort of teaser trailer, but if it's gonna introduce you to maybe people to like Asian culture or Chinese culture a little bit more, mm. perhaps then you can discover the music along with it. Yeah. One thing, because Aquafina is in this, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I'm half wondering whether she's going to have any music in it. Whether she, I wouldn't be surprised if she either they've either used some of her uh, already released stuff, or if they if she would do something for it. Either one would not,
1: yeah, not surprise me. She's kind of the perfect person to do that with. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. yeah. And also, but Jackson Wang apparently was um, through his uh, name in the hat Phil Shenchi before it was cast. Oh really? Yeah. Oh recently, I've really gotten into Mass Effect Andromeda, mm-hmm. which is the fourth game in the Mass Effect series. Um, it came out a fair few years ago now, actually, but uh, probably in like 2017, I think, or something like that. But I never played it when it came out because it was released with just tons of kind of bugs and glitches and people sort I'll of panned it for that. a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Uh, it, it basically had a really rocky release. And um, yeah, but I've, I've heard some good things about it since it's been sort of apparently fixed. I mean, it hasn't been fixed, there's still glitches, but I am very much enjoying it, actually. Really kind of slow, quite poor quality start, but once you sort of push through it, actually it opens up into what I love about the Mass Effect series. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying that at the moment. But yeah, I'm a big um, big fan of the music in that as well. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like almost like, uh, it kind of straddles a few different lines. It kind of feels like it's very synthwave inspired in a lot of ways, I think. And I think it also takes a lot of influence from like, kind of like pastiche, kind of like, um, kind of s- like sci-fi stuff. from like this, like that kind of almost, yeah, kind of pastiche of like seventies and like eighties sci-fi. A lot of like bleeps and bloops and like all kind of, yeah, it's, it's very kind of, I don't know, I really like it. That it really works, the music in the Mass Effect series. And then when it needs to, it, it can lift into like really grand, kind of very heroic, kind of typical score stuff.
0: Is that a, is that a thing that is known in the Mass Effect series in terms of it having good good um, good music,
1: or is this like a step up? Uh, I don't know if it's a thing it's known for. I like the music uh, in, in the Mass Effect series. I don't know if that's one of the main one of like the things that people often pick up about it. But I I really like the music in the Mass Effect games. I think it really sets the scene of the universe really well. Um, it works with that kind of high uh you know high sci-fi. But no, I wouldn't say it's a step above. I would say it's probably about on par with the previous ones. It's just say good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like it. I, my
0: only thought, thing that I've been really getting into this last week is just purely music, mm. uh, which is um, the album Telephone by No-Name. I've uh, really, really been digging that. Yeah, I actually Incredible got, album. Yeah. It's weird. It's like a little sort of cyclical thing. So the album sort of got onto my radar because a couple of tracks of it were used in um, in the soundtrack for us, which I did for the podcast. And then I really liked those two tracks. So I was like, oh, actually I'm going to download the whole album, listen to the album. And I listened to it and I was like, oh man, this is an incredible album. It's kind of jazzy. It'd be like kind of experimental. Like it's kind of, uh, no name sort of does a lot because she comes from a spoken word background. So a lot of the, the rapping is quite atypical. to so, like some of the other, like most other rappers, I think. Mm. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just, it, it has that hot, like that brilliant mix of like the, the music sometimes sounds really like chilled out and like jazzy, but then she's talking about police brutality and like,
1: people's family dying and stuff like that so it's like it's an incredible album and then I also sorry just to jump in yeah she does have that element of she's probably not a beat poet but sometimes when she's rapping she does that thing where she kind of skips beats yeah and which is quite an unconventional kind of flow I think it it must be a poet thing yeah yeah it feels very like poetic yeah but like sometimes it'll be in like the middle of a sentence like it will be an unconventional location she'll skip a beat and just leave that kind of gap and and so. then sort of move on with their meter and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I really like that. It's one of the things that I really noticed about Telephone a lot, especially on like the track, um, uh, is it, uh, Bye Bye Baby? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really like that. Her floor on that is really yeah. good. Um, and also like if, if you, if you do check out the album, and you really like
0: it. I recommend also, um, James Acaster, a comedian that we both like, he has a podcast called Perfect Sounds, um, where he sort of, um, each week he gets a comedian and they talk about. Uh, an, an, an album from 2016 um, that he loves. And they did telephone Boy No Name with another uh, community online called Kima Bob. And uh, that episode's great, but the episode I'm actually recommending is a special episode where um, a lot of the collaborators on that album uh, with No Name are interviewed and talk about the background of the album, how it was made, and like the process. And it's really fascinating. It's really heartbreaking stuff in it as well. Mm. It's really honest conversations, I thought. Um, and coming from a music, music journalism background, uh, I found the interview was very like raw and like, given how hard it is for like knowing how hard it is for some um, interviews to like not feel stilted There's really honest stuff. I thought, like, wow, that's a lot to give to like this this sort of podcast. Nice of all, I was cyclical that it was from our last podcast that I, I sort of discovered the two tracks of it and was like, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm going to do True Detective, which I've just finished. Um, it's a noir detective anthology series created by Nick Pazzolato. He's got an, a, a reputation for being quite an auteur. So, that, you know, the series is is quite famous, the True Detective series. And mm. um, the music, as I was about to say, yeah, it has a large... I mean, especially in the second series, which I talk about, has a large bearing on the series and, like, almost mm. how good it is, almost, in a way, mm. it's kind of a barometer, you can tell by... Music, mm. but I've just got a little bit of um,
1: what what other stuff is Nick? No, uh, what is his name? Nick Pilato, Nick, Nick Pizzolato, Nick Pizzolato. What well, he, other stuff is he or Well, he's actually a, he
0: actually comes from a literary background, oh, okay? So he hasn't got a huge amount of like filmography or like uh, you know, TV or film credits. Mm. Um, he's more, yeah, he, he comes from a literary background, isn't he? Yeah, um, which explains a lot of the really wordy kind of verbose dialogue in in True Detective, right? Because uh, it's like an it's an author spinning his wheels. Um, I don't know, I don't know anything else he's done. Um, so I should have checked that, and I can probably just check it now when I talk about something else. But I, it was just it, he has so little credit that it's not like you're not gonna be like oh he's done this he's done that. Mm. It's not he's not that kind of geezer. Okay. And so I've got a little. Well, I won't talk too much about like the plot or anything because like obviously there are three different plots, so it's pointless and it's. You know, I, I can do this relatively spoiler-free because of how the music is. So I'll try and do it as spoiler-free as possible. Mm. But um, just some interesting things that you, this first thing you'll love Prentice, and this might this might really encourage you to watch the uh, first series, especially is that the whole first story. Um, which is the iconic one with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I said Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. You whatever. said it how yeah. I would say himself. I can do a pretty good Rust impression, which is Matthew McConaughey's character. Oh, okay. I can. Re- I might whip it out in the second <laughs> one, so I've got it. But um, this, this is off Apprentice. So season one is part of the subgenre of the Cthulhu mythos. Oh, okay, um, cool, cool. And cool. there are many references to Robert
1: W. Ch- 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 Chambers. Oh, he's well, He's probably one of the guys who ran with the Cthulhu mythos after Lovecraft, right? Sort of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, collection of short stories: "The King in Yellow,"
0: as well as kokosa Kuro- uh, the Yellow King," and "Black Stars." Right. And the original description. Not of overly errol... familiar with those, but. Uh, and the errol, the errol child dress, uh, which is uh, a sort of um, it's a kind of image that crops up like a motif of a green eared spaghetti monster. Is a reference. Oh yeah. Reference to H.B. Lovecraft's Cthulhu.
1: So, yeah, so that's yes. that, That's all... Um... The spaghetti monster is a meme as well. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, from True Detective? I don't know if it's from True Detective, but it's a meme. Oh, okay. Of, like, the spaghetti monster. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: So, yeah, this, the series is um, very sort of dark and noir and, like, su- mm, it's pseudo-supernatural. Because mm. I don't think there's anything actually n- unsupernatural, but the mis- mystery is kind of so sort of, like... So I guess because it's like, it's, like it's like a mystery but It's because it's so philosophical, it becomes almost like it's not on Earth. It's a bit weird. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I thought, yeah, I've got a lot to talk about with the music, so I'm going to get kind of straight into the music. Um, so the guy who does the music is called T-Bone Burnett.
1: Ah. Do you know that name? I do indeed. Oh, Very yeah? interesting. I'll, uh, I'll talk about why that's interesting later. Um, I think I might know where you know him from, actually. But yeah, he... Um,
0: <laughs> it was quite funny why... why all through watching it, I assumed he was black. Yeah, I just because the name T Bone Burnett, I was like, that's a typical blues name. There's no way this guy this guy's right. But yeah, he looks like he looks like a sort of Eric Clapton knockoff. Oh, okay. Yeah, he he kind of looks that like, kind of like he looks white like, as a sheet of paper. Yeah, he's kind of really sort of '70s sort of nerdy guitarist kind of guy. <laughs> Uh, and he was he uh, he was in Bob Dylan's backing band in the seventies. Oh, okay, cool, nice. Uh, and he's done yeah. So he's kind of he. Done... I mean, that's not where I know him from. No, no, um, I didn't think so. But I think I know where he was. So he's done other film school. So you're gonna say you know him from uh,
1: Brother Well Art Now? I was aware of that, but that's not again. I'll okay. save why him coming up is interesting for later in my segment.
0: Okay. Oh, really? Mm. Uh, okay. Um, all right. I'll leave. Uh, yeah. So he's done. Yeah. So he's done where brother. Oh, brother, we're out there, which is the Brothers. He's actually got a fairly, fairly frequent Clover Brothers collaborator. Yeah. So he's also done Inside the Llewellyn Davis. Yes, Llewellyn Davis. Uh, Llewellyn Davis. Sorry, I always say Llewellyn. It's Llewellyn Davis. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he's done. Uh, he's also did the film Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges. Oh, Okay. Uh, which is like, like he's like a sort of down out country star. Um. It's like a film like fifteen years ago. Right. Um. So Those are his main credits. Um. Oh, he's got another credit, but I'm gonna save that till later. So we're going to start with season one. Uh, so um, a good place to start with all of these is like the, it always has like a theme song. It always has like a, as HBO always do have incredible like opening sequences
1: mm-hmm. and they have a song, they have a different song each time in the anthology. Uh, for the is first, that kind of a thing that HBO are known for? For like having incredible opening sequences? I think so. Because some of the most legendary opening sequences on television, yeah, because, especially with like Westworld and, and get, Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones.
0: Yeah, true detective like they, they've got high rec, high yeah it's clearly something they i don't think it's an accident that a lot of those are like yeah um so the the theme for the first uh series is called far from any road by the Hanson family right they're like a delta blues revival and country band like from the, like the late mid 90s to like early 2000s but they like sound like they're from like the, uh, like 50s or 60s okay um yeah so i yeah it's like the song sounds like it's like because the whole, the whole thing, like, the first series is set in, like, the Delta area. It's just a lot like Delta Blues. And the song sounds like it's from, like, the 30s. Yeah. Although the production, obviously, is way better, obviously. Um, but it's, um, it's got that sense of, like, it's very folky. And then, like, it's quite, I would say, a bit like with Kill List you mentioned a few weeks ago. or That, um, that it's, like, folk horror. A lot of the first series is folk horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very much, it's kind of that. The song is kind of folky and got, got like, really horrible imagery in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's sort of, um, a lot of the, a lot, a lot, and there's a huge theme of this, true Detective, where <laughs> Nick of is not known for subtlety, mm. uh, and I guess t Burnett isn't either, because a lot of the songs, like, literally describe what's happening, like, the aesthetic, or, like, the main conflicts of the characters, so there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, sort of, like, imagery of, like, missing, like, the plot, the first thing is, like, missing girl, and, like, the whole thing, like, they talk about girl, like a girl goes missing and among, amongst this horrible dust land and like, it's like, you know, her heart was like, s- swayed with blood and it's all like,
1: but there's a good, there's a great, there's a, it's a really funny that always sticks in my head where the guy goes to like a baritone register. It's really funny. If they really wanted to be on the nose with the, uh, with the music and everything. They should have just had a uh, true by Spandau Ballet as the main thing. Uh, that would have been hilarious. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: i not, would me because they did like a weird cover of that for like season two, but I'll get to that. I might like uh, a re-edit
1: of that yeah <laughs> just the true detective open and <laughs> but with true by spandau battle over the thing and then someone just shouts detective at the end <laughs> it's me <laughs> i'm going to shout detective
0: uh yeah there's a, there's a i think well, it's kind of um, i don't know much about this I'm my comfort zone when to talk about this but um it's called kind of blue grassick because there's like a um, washboard in it mm-hmm. you know washboard and stuff nice uh, so it's very much
1: setting in that sort of bio area like what what yeah, what I've, yeah. what I've dubs, bayou folk. Mm. Which there's a lot of, there's a history of kind of like ideas of like cults existing out in like the Louisiana bayous and stuff like that. There's a lot of kind of, yeah, there's a history of kind of that kind of dark imagery in those areas, like swamp folk yeah, and and like the kind of occultism that comes with that and stuff and the potential elements of the supernatural and stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the the main,
0: for, for series one, the main bulk of the sink is all around delta blues and country mm. not surprisingly so there's loads of stuff by both Diddley, John johnny hooker and then the spectacularly named uh, slim harpo <laughs> who did raining in my heart uh, and on the water's edge by blind uncle gaspard um which
1: some brilliant brilliant names uh yeah, and very... I really hope when he recorded the bulk of his work, he could both see and was not an uncle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. I really want him to be a very sightful <laughs> 20-year-old man.
0: <laughs> like, I don't know how to feel, actually. A lot, a lot of the first series has a lot of, like, borderline African spirituals in it. Mm. And, like, for a white guy to, like, have a lot of this, for white characters also, a white, a white soundtrack, like, a white person in the soundtrack to a white, a white story, essentially it's teetering on egregious i find ah, okay i find it teetering on egregious listening well, i didn't notice it in the show yeah but once you listen to the soundtrack when i was doing my research the amount of it sort of hit me right i was like mm. when it's not sort of like blues and folk, like country i don't mind but when it's african spirituals mm. i think I might be taking it a little too far i don't know what you
1: think uh well obviously i haven't heard it and i don't really yeah. know um yeah i mean i'm inclined obviously to, to yeah, like yeah. if you say that you're valid and feeling that way, definitely. Yeah. Um is it maybe a link to kind of the the like the kind of church going people of the deep south? Like kind of the, the kind and you know, like how intensely how intensely the kind of spirituals are sung and, and all that kind of culture of like, you know, black churches in the south and stuff. Is it maybe that kind of trying to draw on that? And... So there's
0: heavy there's heavy religious uh it's heavy religious motifs in the series, so I imagine that's where it goes, but again, they don't even go to like any black churches, mm. so, that, yeah, but I, I, it doesn't really bother me. It's just something that I noticed, that I did really notice in the show, yeah. Mm. Um, there's a song, Sign of the Judgment, uh, and the one, the because it's probably a standard, there's a lot of these are, so, but the version they use uh, is by the Macintosh County Shouters. Okay. Uh, and that's <laughs> that's like a proper African spiritual, it's like sort of that wade in the water vibe, it's like very much like drums, literally drums and like chanting. Mm. Um, what were yeah. their names again? The uh, count, the Macintosh County shouters. Love that. Yeah, it's I, I, I give them too much credit when I was doing my research, and I had them down as the county players. And then I was like, well, no, they're not, the shouters, mate. They're they're the the shouters, yeah.
1: They're Not playing anything. Um, they stand on the borders and try and bring tourists in. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> have you ever been to Macintosh County? <laughs> <laughs> the car carries on driving. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
0: Um, and a lot of the reason why, like all the Delta stuff, obviously it's, it's where it's set. But a lot of the stuff is like, count, uh, all the because it's country and blues is because like the, the overarching theme in all of True Detective is like broken down masculinity
1: mm.
0: and like the fallibility of masculinity and toxic masculinity and like um, men being broke, like broken men. So like, how yeah. do you how do you very very obviously show men are on the edge, especially
1: mm. in Southern America? You you absolutely pile in mm. with the with the. It's a classic Lovecraftian adaptation. He was, he was very on the ball with addressing toxic masculinity in the, uh, yeah. in the 1600s or whenever he was writing.
0: Yeah, so, um, but then, again, uh, what's quite interesting as well, uh, that song I just mentioned, Sound of the Judgment, T-Bone Burnett did a reworking with it with, uh, with a jazz singer that he liked called Cassandra Wilson, mm. She'll Cut Pop Later, and uh, they did a cover of that, uh, which is, like, it's much bigger. It's, like, it almost sounds like a different song. Okay. So it's, like it's kind of like a proper gospel, like a probably like modern gospel track with like big drums. And he goes, hey. it's really like big and chuggy. Mm. And
1: like, it's reused. There's a bit where like, there's a real... Um... Sorry, Big Drums isn't one of the singers, is no, he? No. One of the Delta Blues singers. <laughs> big big L- Drums, William. <laughs> big
0: Drums, William, yeah. Um, yeah, it's got a very bombastic and like, there's three different time periods in True Detective and like, it's how the narrative is told. And then there's like a moment in episode six where, kind of the timelines collide a little bit and like it's quite a, it's definitely a turn in the events We yeah. only like two episodes left it's at the end of six and like it's quite good because it kind of it you very much feel like something's changing mm. um yeah so I, I think it's really good use also another thing to quickly mention uh not surprised i never picked up on it i, I it's definitely in the soundtrack because it's on the official soundtrack i never picked up on it at the time which is surprising because i'm a huge bob dylan fan but they do have a one bit of bob Dylan sync which is called rocks and gravel Oh, okay. Which is like from his really early, earnest period, you know, before he's even in his like. Uh. Even before like times of changing, like, you know, when he was sort of thinking
1: he was like Woody Guthrie
0: and he was yeah. doing his like Dust
1: Bowl kind of. So is it on any of his albums? Is it on like this first self titled or is not it pre any, first self titled? It's not
0: on any studio album. It must
1: be on one of the like
0: thousand bootlegs he's got. Wow. Um, so, yeah, because I never heard of it and I couldn't find it outside of the soundtrack. Mm. Um, and it's quite good. It's, it's what you expect. It's like. Um, it's a lot of the, you know that like if you listen to his first album, which is like the, all the country covers, mm. it's very similar
1: to that. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And that's that's uh that. Uh, hence your uh Pod Dylan intro. Yes, right. that Pod Dylan. Right. Very okay, big. yeah, right. yeah.
0: So it's, it, I thought it was quite funny because he's known for well, I'm gonna shit on him, but here's one of my favorite artists. To take this potential, he he, you know, he kind of appropriated like working class white and working class black culture in mm. like. Being like doing all the blues and country stuff, as Nick lot is kind of doing. Although he technically he comes from a working class background, hmm. he's kind of doing the same sort of stuff, which I find quite funny. But yeah, um, uh, just a couple of more uh, things I'd mention um, is that uh, there's a very famous scene in True Detective, probably the most famous scene in all of True Detective, uh, is the one take scene. Yeah, mid season, it's amazing. It's, it's. I think I'm right in saying it's like. Regarded as one of the best one take scenes on
1: TV. I, I would say so. Yeah, well, I when the first season of Daredevil came out and there was the one take scene hallway fight, I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole of becoming obsessed with one take scenes. Yeah, and um, that was one that comes up all the time. And I showed it to you a few probably like a year or two ago, didn't I? I think, mm. or maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's yeah, it's incredible. It's amazing. Having not even seen the show, it's just so like wow. Yeah, I- it's so intense and sprawling and like. It's, it is really uh, quite incredible. But
0: um, one of the things, there's two noticeable things about that. One is that for a lot of time, there's no like, score in it. It's, very, it's literally just found sound. Hmm. It's like people smashing in windows, people shooting guns. There's like, no like, outside sound. Yeah. Apart from two, uh, there's one, there's the, gangsters listening to some music. And it's uh, Back in the Clan Front, I think, by the, uh, Mutan Clan. Oh, okay. Uh, very quietly in the background. You barely hear it. But um, it's weird because it has, like, um, bee, like, it has references to bees, like, a swarm of bees. Mm. And and then also, like, then a the song that plays over the credits is um Honeybee Fly Me to Mars by Grinderman. Right. Which is, like, Nick Cave's industrial project. Yeah, yeah. And that's also, yeah, got bees. so there's a weird bee motif going <laughs> on there. But that's really cool, though, because it's, like, it's a really intense song carrying on for a really intense thing. Yeah. So it really works really well. So, yeah, uh, move on to uh, two, because... There's so much to talk about too. Two is very different. Like two is set uh, not in the Delta. It's set in a fake town in California called Vinci. Mm. And I mean, it just goes down. It never starts well. It 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 starts as it needs to go on, i.e., terribly. Um, in that it starts with like instead of like a cool kind of nichey country song, it starts with like um, Nevermind by Leonard Cohen. Okay. And it's from his like he like his, he came out like a, one of the albums in like 2010. Uh, when he sort of came back after he took a little break from music mm. and he's like really gravelly He like <sighs> yeah and it's like really on the nose and it's like it, you know it's about you know it's like every Leonard of song it's like it's about like it's depressing and it's like talking about drinking and like losing a love it's like it, it's it's so on the nose for like stuff and it just doesn't get any better from there yeah like the only interesting thing about that is that apparently although i didn't hear it they re-edited every episode they re-edit the title sequence, so, like, different verses are played, so it, like, relates to stuff in the, in the episode. Okay, right. Which does sound cool, but I didn't hear it. Doesn't work in practice. I mean, it, uh, no, because the song was... I mean, it ruined the song, like... Because because it was associated with such a terrible project,
1: like, the terrible series, I'm like, this has ruined it for me. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, you did seem very unhappy when you were watching season two. There's <laughs> a just... noticeable difference in your... Uh... Yeah, it went, it went from, like, the end of Series 1, which was some of the best, like, the
0: last three, four episodes is some of the best television I've ever watched. Mm. So, like, the whole of 2 is an absolute car crash. It's so fucking terrible. It's so bad. Um, and the music kind of is, like, it kind of shows that because it sort of, I feel like Nick Pesolato is clearly on ego on him and the success of 1 just, put his ego into the stratosphere
1: right
0: so instead of like because it's set in it's, so it hasn't got any of the delta stuff before what it has got is an incredible amount of like original mu- music for it like it has those like original stuff for it and the, the biggest offender for this is a, is a i'm sure she's lovely and she's quite a good artist but she's just used terribly there's an artist called Lyra Lynn
1: mm-hmm.
0: um who is basically alexandra Xavier if she met if she spent too much time with lona del Rey. okay um, so she's kind of very like maudlin ballad a lot of people only get one off of that reference yeah but... yeah, yeah. Um, she's <laughs> like a very maudlin like, balladeer like sort of slightly semi acoustic electric sort mm. of balladeer probably a superhero in a spare time too Lyra oh very good yeah so she has quite a few, she has a lot of original songs on it I mean she basically has an EP out in, in the middle of the soundtrack hmm. so she has the songs My Least Favourite Life uh, Church in Ruins The Only Thing Worth Fighting For and Lately and only one of those is Holds up after one lesson. <laughs> uh, it's very, yeah, it's just like, it's like, it very much get the vibe of she's like, you know those like YouTube, like people, you know, like those girls who are, like teenage girls who like do like stuff in their bedroom for like you'd like, like songs for YouTube. Hmm. It's like that, but like, Goff's done it. Right, okay. It's It's just, it's so like, but it's so like, it's so on the nose and like really sad. It's like, oh, just fuck off, man. Like, we get it. These, because it doesn't help, like, she's soundtracking some of the worst, like, writing and acting i've seen yeah so it's like on the nose music about on the nose acting with on the nose writing <laughs> and it's just a car crash and what makes it even worse is that she not only has the, this music in it that she also in the in the show playing the music
1: yeah, yeah which
0: is just it just takes even if you were somehow still invested in this series just takes you out of it because like there's there's a scene in particular where Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell, playing two terrible characters and doing terrible jobs at that, are having a scenery chill-off uh, <laughs> in, in a bar, and, like, the music plays, and you think, oh, that's, that's that's pretty on the nose, and then it just pans, and she's there doing the music. Yeah. And, she, like, there's nobody in the bar, literally them and her in the bar, and she's just on stage singing. It's like, what the fuck is this? It's just, what is this? Um, yeah.
1: And terrible she, television.
0: Yeah, I just the whole series is just so annoying. Nice. Yeah, there's there's also a terrible bit where it made me laugh is where there's like one of the songs that I like off it is "Lately," a song called "Lately," and it plays um, in like a big sort of showdown where like uh, Colin Farrell's character goes to do this big drug deal or whatever, and he steps out the car smoking a cigarette with a cowboy hat on and a denim jacket, and, and it's just talking about like. The the lyrics says, lately I don't I don't feel like myself and it's just like oh my god what is this oh it's just so it's, it's embarrassing it's so embarrassing yeah there's there are actually some good compositions for it like Nick Cave reappears um, he has the song with the Bad Seeds called uh, All the Gold in California it's quite cool quite dirty, like rock song I quite like that yeah uh, plays over the credits which is a common theme with Pretty Detective a lot of their sync does that
1: mm.
0: yeah and uh, and then weirdly I uh, like uh, Alexandra Se- yeah. yeah, also has a track on it called Risk,
1: which is really cool. Oh, okay. that's That was her first thing that went out, right? Yeah. Her yeah. first track, yeah.
0: Yeah, which is really cool. And I quite like that. But it just it just makes Lerudin's appearance a even weirder. Because like, that song's better than anything she writes. And it's just like, uh, it seems a bit weird. She, she's clearly had a thing in mind for this series, and it's one thing. Mm. Um, one bit I really need to get to before I move on is there's... Oh, my God. So... There's a bit kind of spoilers for Two Detectives, uh, but again, it's not a huge spoiler. There's a sort of fake out which involves Connor Farrell's character, Ray Velcoro getting shot. And in the scene, I like Pity the Fool by Bobby Bland plays. Big tune. Yeah. But again, problematic because for some reason, Nick Pizzolato or and Burnett think we can't, if the music isn't shown being played, we, we somehow lose our minds of how it's, how it's happening in the scene. So we literally have a shot of like an establishing shot of the radio playing the song. I'm like, what is this? It just, it's so bad. What What is this? <laughs> and then it's like, yeah. And
1: he, I just love the idea of like, if people don't know where the music's coming from, they're just going to run out their living room screaming. Yeah, exactly It's exactly what I thought, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like, what? People are like, what? Where's this ghostly music?
1: <laughs> people know what sync is, bruv.
0: Like, you, the whole thing. Oh, God, it's so bad. It, it, even, even like the establishing shot, so you don't miss that it's coming out the radio. It's like... Good lord! There's so much diegetic music in this, which means music that's involved within yeah. the actual plot, and I'm just like, oh, good god! And then possibly my favourite, possibly my favourite hateful scene is where there's a bit where um, this character, Colin Powell's character is denied access to his son, denied custody of his son. Mm. And he has the most cliched breakdown I think I've ever seen in television. So he gets home and he's doing the whole hands through the hair thing and he's sort of looking around manically. And then he puts on uh, Human Being by the New York Dolls, which is like standard like mid-seventies cock rock, kind of Rolling Stones kind of like over-the-top guitars and terrible shouty vocals yeah. and like sort of talking about rock and roll excess. And he just he just prances around his room like taking swigs out of beer bottles and whiskey and he's smoking he's doing as a coke it's just so poor (laughs) it's like every it's like if you told a 17 year old like white guy from the suburbs or anyone from the suburbs write a breakdown scene. That's what they'd write. Yeah. yeah, It's yeah. so poor. Yeah. He, he it's cries insane. at a picture of his son. Mm. He, he literally sits in that bit between the table and the, mm. the sofa and the coffee table. It's like
1: the subreddit. I'm 13 and this is deep. Or yeah. Oh, yeah. Ex- yeah. That's yeah.
0: exactly it. I'm just like, Oh my God. Again, that he puts the music on in that scene as well. Yeah. He puts human being on that scene. It's just like, Oh good Christ. Nice. Oh. It's not
1: playing out of the sky, Jules. We have to see where it's coming <laughs> from. Uh it can't go into a scene and just have music come out of the walls. So there's not, unless the walls are speakers.
0: Yeah. it's, yeah, it's just kind of the music, the Final point on series on series two is that it kind of as like the all the things that were kind of good on the edge of being good and bad on like season one, two detective, but like distilled into stereotypes in two. Yeah. And that's what's done with the music as well, taking kind of the cool, mysterious Delta blues and putting it into like into like trying to do their own version in 2 because they can't have dealt because it's set in Vinci, like in California. Hmm. And it's just, oh, it's just the worst. There's some good sync in it, but most of it is just too over the top and more than it. We, we get it. They're sad. Like, chill out. Oh, it's just, the whole 2 is just an absolute car crash. I, I've i never been so disappointed after a series in my life. I was just like, how's this the same show by the same person? Anyway, on to onto my favourite series, season 3. Instantly back on board. Mm-hmm. Instantly back on board. They have a, another sort of very similar sort of um mid two thousands, sort of nineties, for similar era to Hanson Family and a song called Death Letter by Cassandra Wilson. Really cool. She she's she's the artist I told you earlier who did like who's like the jazz singer for the nineties. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, She she um she does a lot of work with T Burn Um and her it's really it's really excellent. It's kinda of like it's kind of rumbly and mysterious and it kind of it's not so on the nose, it's kind of it's got that sort of slight more vague and ambiguity because like this character isn't so on there. He's more written, he's more grounded, and like there's a lot of mystery to him, and a lot of, like, yeah, there's a lot of conflict. So I think it works really well, like, summing up his character. Yeah. Um, Wayne Hayes is the new detective played by Maharsha Ali and one of the most remarkable acting performances I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, from, for, yeah, because he... It, it's just unbelievable. And another bit of crazy uh, little um, trivia. Originally, uh, Mah- Maharsha Ali uh, suggested to Nick Fizzoli that they changed the race of the main detective, because the main detective was initially going to be white and his partner was going to be black. Okay. But Maharshala Ali convinced him to do a race swap, so, so that Roland, Roland uh, his his um, number two is now white and Wayne Hayes is now black.
1: Wait, so Maharshala Ali was going to play the lead? who was a white detective. No, I, I imagine he was going to play Roland. Oh, the... Oh, the... Sorry. Okay, I get... Yes. Okay, I yes. get what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah. What I thought you were saying is Marshall Lulu is going to play a, a white man, a and, white he, and he turned to, he turned to the, <laughs> turned to the <laughs> actually. You know what? I could make this character black, and we'll make the assistant white. Why not? Yeah, I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, the guy uh, Stephen Dorff plays um, his his companion uh, Roland. Uh, yeah, Roland West, I think his name. is? Mm. And he he also um, as the series progresses. First of all, I'm not fast, but as we get on, he really fucking brings it as well. Mm. It's a really two strong performances.
1: Sorry, no, I, I, sorry I just completely glazed over there because I was just thinking about my Ali doing white face. Yeah, just like well in the in the Dave Chappelle white face and doing Eddie Murphy's white voice. <laughs> Relayer, I don't know what we got here. Uh, <laughs> seems to be a matter. Yeah, looks like uh, what have we got here? Jeez, Cthulhu? Oh.
0: <laughs> Strange. Oh, nice as well. You brought it back because we we do it. From the Backlash of 2, we enter back into into the, basically a retread of uh, 1. Uh, so we're back into the
1: Cthulhu, sort of mystery cult stuff. Mm. So I've heard the first and third seasons are linked.
0: Yes, they are very tangentially linked, yeah. Mm. Again, it's also set back in the Delta, back in the South, back in Arkansas. This one's set in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, um, there's a lot more of the s- similar stuff. But it's more focused this time. Mm. One soundtrack was so sprawling... But one is very much more focused and there's a lot of artists just that keep cropping up and have several songs.
1: Yeah, you mean three is more focused. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah,
0: thank you. And then we've also got an artist that basically this series single-handedly introduced me to, uh, apart from one song, Warren Zephyrin who who yes. I know from um, Werewolves of London. Yeah, yeah. He has a couple of tracks on this I that are re- really excellent. So he has a song called Reconsider Me on it, um, which is really nice. And then the song that is like the big tune, which I would recommend highly, is his song's Desperados Under the Eaves, which plays over the credits in episode five. And it's really nice because it's a song about reflection and sort of viewing your life and sort of thinking about, which which again, this whole thing of three is very reflective. Mm. And it's all about memory. The motif is about memory. So that's really nice. Really like well-produced song. It's really nice. Mm. Both from the same album. So which is a self-titled from, like, 75,
1: mm. so it's really cool. And so even though that's quite on the nose as well, it works better using that song yeah. in season three. Yeah, because... It it's looks- almost as if the quality of the show is what makes it
0: or not, really. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think the song is, is less on the nose than some of the stuff. Ah, okay. It really is less on the nose. And, like, it did need some interpretation, which is the difference. Right. Because you did need the scene. You did need the scene to show because it's about um, the two detectives From Again, this is like time-jumpy, and the two detectives reunite after 15 years, so it it really is nice. Yeah, It's on the nose, but it's in a way that it's not so it knows it. Like, you can choose to interpret it as a nice song just over the credits, or you can think about it in a sort of deeper sense, which I think two did not allow you to do. Hmm. It just hit you over the head until like, oh, right, okay, okay, right, we get it. Um... Uh, there's a couple of songs you might. There's a lot more. There's a little bit of country. So there's a couple
1: of Jolie Lewis songs in there. Nice. Yeah. He, he's country, right? Jerry Lewis? Yeah, he doesn't mix. Yeah, he did like rock yeah. and roll, honky tonk, country stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of things, and, and they use that often when he if Wayne's in like a rednecky bar, they use a lot of like country, including like Jolie Lewis, to so kind of show you what where he is, hmm. and like he kind of always goes to these kind of rednecky bars in like a weird like. Cause I think it's all about him. He's like the one black cop in a white the police one, so it's all about his kind of. His, his a lot of the subplot is about his his relationship with whiteness. Okay. So I think that's quite interesting that he often goes to rednecky bars playing country music. Mm. It's quite it's quite interesting. Yeah, there's a lot. There's more jazz as well. There's more jazz, um, which all, often plays the jazz often plays when he is when uh, when he's when he's, when he's, cour- when he's courting his love interest called Amelia, played by Carmen and Jogo. Um There's often like really nice, beautiful jazz plays like. There's, one, there's a song called um, My Foolish Heart by Bill Evans um, which plays on their first date which is beautiful mm-hmm. and I feel like because of the jazz it feels like the, the, some of the music they would have grown up from in the era because if they're sort of like if they're sort of 30 if like 30 in the 80s than they would have grown up with the, kind of the, the 50s, early 60s. Right, genres. yes, I get what you're saying, So yeah. I, I, I quite like that. It's showing kind of shows very subtly. music sort of pulled from their characters. Yeah, pulled from their characters, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it kind of feels like a very African-American romance using the jazz. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then there's another couple of bits that I'll end on by John Baptiste. Okay, cool. Um, John Baptiste, usually known for like more upbeat soul kind of stuff, more than soul, but in this... He has a He's an album called Hollywood Africans, mm-hmm. in which he does more sort of downbeat stuff, piano-based stuff, right? And the album is actually pr- produced by T Bone Burnett, um, and it was cool, and it was pre- uh, released in twenty eighteen. So there's two tracks that are uh, really nice. So there's there's a, like a, there's a kind of an ode to Chopin, the the classical composer, so. yeah, called yeah. Chopinesque, and it's kind of just his. I think he just takes a, a piece of like Chopin, and he just lets his own spin on it, yeah, and that plays. Um, over a scene in the penultimate episode where no no in the penultimate scene of the entire series where after a fight Wayne and his um, girlfriend who, who had, had just put up a re- reconciling and it's just really nice beautiful jazz again that motif of the jazz playing with their relationship is really nice and then probably up there with the Ron Zephyrin thing it's my favourite bit of sync in the entire series is uh, he has the cover of St James' Infirmary Blues Warren Zephyrin does? No sorry oh John, John, John Baptiste Batiste, yeah. John has a cover of uh, well, his version. It's not really a cover because it's like a standard yeah. of St. James' Infirmary Blues. And it plays over like the last...
1: <laughs> Do you want to say that
0: again? What did I
1: say? So, well, it wasn't St. James' Infirmary uh, Blues. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: St. James' Infirmary Blues. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it plays over the last... like Literally the next scene, which is the last scene. And it's like a flashback to... Um, he's a Vietnam vet. He's a black Vietnam vet, which is a huge thing within the series. Like, mm-hmm. It's one of the key hooks of like his character. Yeah. And um, it, it's the only flashback, the only proper flashback we get to him in the like, Vietnam jungle. And it's the whole idea is like, without being too spoilery, um, the, it's really nice, it's like, really powerful because it's like really nice blues. But like, when you look at the song, it, it's quite a heartbreaking because um, without giving too much away, he has some sort of dementia or outside it's where his memories all um, all over the place. why There's sort of time jumps in like the the narrative. Yeah. And the song basically is about this guy who sort of he kind of had enough of life and he kind of wants to reconcile with his dead lover. He's like, I've 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 been on this long journey, but I've just given up. Yeah. And if you and if you ask me, tell them I've gone down to St. Jan- St. James Infirmary Blues. So yeah. I'm, uh, just leave me alone. I've like had enough of this life. Yeah. And the whole thing is like this. This one guy's on an odyssey to like. Complete this case um, throughout his whole life. For one of a better word, he never gets proper closure, and and his wife. This is not a spoiler because it's it's said pretty early on that his wife, it, in the present day, is dead, and it's like he's had enough of his life, this hard life that he's lived, and he just wants to be with his dead wife, mm-hmm. and it's really it's kind of really kind of affecting. Uh, yeah, because the whole way that Mahesh Ali depicts his dementia is really heartbreaking. Yeah. So I think it was a really good bit of sync. Yeah, that was, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic series. Um, well, one, three of fantastic, and because they're an anthology, you can just go from one to three if you would really like. But, like, yeah, it's quite depressing, very dark themes and stuff. But, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch if you like that kind of noir detective stuff.
1: So uh, this week I'm doing role models, oh, you know? Sick. So about film. <laughs> Thought of something. What's the most tonally opposite thing to true detective could possibly take? Like, this is like,
0: this is like, in a film, you have like anti venom or like anti serum. Yeah. This is like literally
1: anti true detective serum. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I fucking love Raw Wanderers. It's such a funny film.
0: I've forgotten how much I. I liked it until we rewatched it the other day. Yeah. Because one of those films I don't know. Like, I feel like I shouldn't enjoy it as much as I did. So, like, over time since watching that, i am like, oh, he's probably not that good. Yeah. And then we rewatched it. I was like, oh, fuck, this is
1: such a good Like <laughs> And with one of the best musical gags ever. Oh, um, yeah. We'll definitely. Get, without doubt. We'll get to that. Um, so, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, role models um, stars Paul Rudd and uh, what's his name? Sean, Sean William Scott? Scott. Yeah. From, like, the American Pie movies. And you know Paul Rudd. If you don't think you know Paul Rudd, you do know Paul. You know Paul Rudd. Um, so yeah, it's uh, directed and written by David Wayne, who is actually a frequent collaborator with Paul Rudd and like that whole scene and this era this, of comedy in general. There's a definite scene,
0: isn't there? Because also the the woman who plays their boss. Yeah. I forget the name of.
1: Yeah, but she's from like Glee. She plays like the yeah. kind of hard ass. She's also in
0: um, that Virgin film. Steve Carell, like, um, forty year
1: old and... Virgin. Yeah.
0: Jane Lynch is the name? Jane Lynch,
1: yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, she does loads of stuff like that. She's
0: always at like the hardest boss as well. That's really inappropriate. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so it's directed and written by David Wayne with extra writing by Paul Rudd and Ken Marino, who also frequently collaborates with David Wayne. So yeah, uh, David Wayne's worked on... He's written and directed stuff like Wet Hot American Summer, the movie and the shows. Um, he did The Ten, which is like a comedy anthology film based on The Ten Commandments with, again, a lot of people in that whole scene. Um, Wonderlust, which is a rom-com with Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston, uh, they came together. He wrote on Mad TV and the sitcom Party Down as well, which is quite a okay. famous sitcom. Um, so yeah, he's he's got quite an extensive sort of comedy repertoire with the, with that all those sorts of people. But um, Role Models is scored by uh, Craig Wedron, who is the lead singer and guitarist from the sort of early post-hardcore group Shudder to Think. Who, so the
0: guy who did some of the stuff you're gonna to get to. He was a post hardcore band.
1: Yeah. What? Right. Um, some, some of the stuff we didn't get to.
0: No, no stuff. Stuff you're gonna do later, which some of the, like the original songs for the, for
1: the. Yeah. So, so not the. So, uh, uh, basically, the stuff that Craig Wedren does is all of the very much the score. Score. He doesn't do any like the kind of songs with like lyrics in it or anything like that. He does all that kind of. Well, we'll get to what he does, but he does very much the score and stuff like that. So. Yeah, he's from the post-hardcore group Shudder to Think, who split up in uh, 1998, and uh, after that he went into TV and film music um, and, like, scoring and stuff. But yeah, Shudder to Think are awesome. I had briefly come across them before, um, but did a little bit more research and sort of was reinvigorated to, like, listen to them more. They're really cool. They're um, very, like, quite experimental, kind of indie, melodic, post-hardcore stuff. I... I The stuff I would say they're most similar to, considering they started in 88 in Washington, D.C., which is obviously the home of hardcore and stuff. He, I would say they're most similar to, like, you know that kind of sound that a lot of British indie bands who went on to become Britpop bands had in the early 90s?
0: Oh, They very much
1: sound like that, kind of like that early kind of experimental Boo Radleys or like the kind of weirder Echo Belly tracks. They've got that kind of sound to them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean... Two great references, yeah. universal references that together.
1: <laughs> yeah, but they they so they're um yeah they're really cool and, and they had a big influence actually um on like a lot of the grunge bands and stuff like that. So amongst their fans they had um they had a uh, Jeff Buckley. Oh yeah. Um, they had uh, Soundgarden and Chris Cornell, whom oh, they toured yeah, okay. with. Uh, a lot of like yeah, a lot of big artists in the nineties, and there's many friends, yeah. many others. They they commercially didn't massively succeed but were critically really lauded for their experimental kind of nature i'd say the two songs i'd recommend the most the most of theirs to listen to is um their song with jeff buckley called i want someone badly which they did for a film oh
0: okay okay yeah
1: and uh, their song uh x french t-shirt <laughs> which is a really That's cool a great song.
0: name is that the song name? yeah oh,
1: Excellent. so yeah i would say definitely go and listen to those two their song with jeff buckley is beautiful so yeah, he did some of the music for the film Velvet Goldmine, which is the Ewan McGregor movie, um, the about him as, as like a fictional artist in like the glam era, I believe. This is Craig Wedren, and he went on to work on a lot of the stuff that David Wayne directed and wrote as well, because apparently he's close members with a lot of people in that scene. Um, and he also did other stuff for other shows and films like Balls of Fury, the ping pong movie, which is another great comedy. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, the score is weird. <sighs> <laughs> it's it, it's fine, it's a comedy movie, so like, often I think, I don't know, is there, it got me thinking on a on a, lo, uh, in a, on a sort of sidetrack a little bit, is there any comedy films that have notable scores that you can think of? Because there's obviously some songs from yeah, comedy I mean, films which are noticeable.
0: There are, there are, uh, there's one, well, if you take right. out one, ex- if you take out one director in particular, it's, it's much harder because of the Edgar Wright's films.
1: Yeah, but score, oh, I'm score. saying, yeah. Uh, any comedy films with like notable scores. Uh, none that ping off the top of my head, no because no. there's a, yeah there's songs with like kind of I would say there's comedy there's original tracks from comedy films which are obviously memorable like I'm on a boat from Step Brothers and you know <laughs> stuff from Role Models and you know there's a few others but yeah it's not kind mm-hmm. of yeah, yeah. Like
0: score wise probably not no mm.
1: and, and, I, and I would say similar here it's just kind of like it works with the scene so there's a lot of like kind of driving blues kind of stuff blues like hard rock kind of stuff earlier on in the film when they're when sort of Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott's character are living their raucous lifestyle as, like, energy drink salesmen. They're just trying to flog, like, a terrible, horrific, kind of, monster-style energy drink to kids at high schools. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think, like, a lot of the blue stuff kind of goes with, like, when they're kind of living their, you know, yeah, kind of raucous, shitty lifestyle. And then um, there's a character called Augie, played by uh, Christopher Mintz-Pless. And he's, like, a live-action role-player or larping, as it's like as it's called within that community, which is basically like Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, but in person with like foam weapons and like armor that people spend a lot of money and time on and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of the music that goes with his scenes are very much kind of apen, that classic kind of generic fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, kind of yeah. it's very very kind of Lord of the Rings or like the Dungeons and Dragons movies, kind of that style. It's kind of almost it's like a generic version of those. It's like the
0: composers taking a piss. Out of them because it, the music's so it's over the top it's very earnest and over the top yeah and, and it's, it's Christopher just...
1: Mitzpless standing on the side of a building with like a <laughs> big foam sword doing like a monologue to into his tape recorder or whatever <laughs> about how he's going to save the princess and stuff yeah so yeah, there's, so there's, you know, it works with the scenes. It's very much good kind of contextual kind of score, but not really notable past kind of that kind of stuff. Um, but where this where this film is quite interesting in, in the musical sense is in the music it features like as original tracks. So um, it features the song Broken and Bent by the singer-songwriter Peter Salat, um, which I think plays over when Paul Rudd first breaks up with Beth, who's his like kind of long-ish term partner. Oh, yeah. Okay. And... Um, Oh, you know, tell a lie. You know when it does happen? It's when every. It's when they have their um, dark soul of the night, uh, dark night of the soul moment. Oh, hello, getting uh, getting screwed. Uh, it's it's here. when it's when they sort of both get in shit and they get kicked off the um, helping wings or sturdy wings program, whatever it's yeah, called, yeah. and 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 he can't get Beth back, and Oggy hates him, and Sean William Scott's character, his little his kid, hates him. Yeah. And yeah. so they have yeah, and broken and bent place. So um. Yeah, Peter Sallett's done quite a few songs for, uh, like, Judd Apatow and David Wayne joints. Um, and he's done a few... He's done stuff for Ed Norton films as well, because they were <laughs> in the same middle school class. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. And uh, one of the things I found fascinating about him, Peter Sallett, his father has a bigger Wikipedia page than him, because his father was Stan Sallett, a prominent 60s civil rights organiser, who served as a staff member on all three of the Kennedy brothers' teams Whoa. in the 60s. Jesus. And he was quite a prominent civil rights organiser. <laughs> oh. Um, so yeah that was cool Um, and where T-Bone Burnett comes in interestingly is that um, the movie Keeping the Faith features a T-Bone Burnett remix of one of Peter Salat's tracks one of his original songs from, from his own album Heart of Mine
0: how does that song go? Is it really nice like sort of gentle?
1: Yeah, well? kind of gentle, kind of like jangly, strummed, kind of like indie kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that song... Um, got that kind of... Broken
0: and bent. It's really nice. Yeah, I, I remember she's having that. Oh, it's really
1: nice. Yeah, it's, it's a nice track. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not bad. But yeah, and apparently he cameos in the film as a character called the is Lass of Pleasure. But I don't know who that is or where that is. It but must be a
0: Larker. Yeah, maybe. It sounds
1: like a Larpa. Maybe. So, yeah, that's quite nice. I like that. And, um, yeah, in terms of other bits of sync, we have um, Mr. Blue Sky by ELO, um, which is yeah. plays when they're travelling from school to school, I think. When they when they sort of really hit their stride and things start, in quotations, going well for them, except Paul Rudd hates his job. Yeah. But, yeah, there's... Oh, no, tell a lie. It's not. Again, I'm misremembering all the songs out. Mr. Blue Sky, I think, plays when they are having a great time with the kids.
0: Oh, it's on that, the little sturdy wings program. Was in that little montage where, like, they
1: yeah. go to the beach. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. so just to quickly draw it, so role models, basically, for anyone who hasn't seen it, they, they're energy drink salesmen, they commit a crime, they lose their jobs. everything falls apart for them. They have to go and do community service to basically pay for, like, this crime that they commit where they crash a car into a thing. Uh, and they get paired with a couple of... They, they have to go... They choose to do their community service in the Sturdy Wings program, which is a program where uh, you support kids... Um, who need like kind of mentors or whatever, or people to take them out for a few hours a week and do activities with them be friends with them and stuff like that. And, uh, so that's their community service. And yeah, um, Paul Rudd gets paired with Augie, who's like a nerdy kind of like role-playing kid played by Christopher Mintz-Plasse and, um, Sean William Scott, I can't remember what the name of the kid he gets paired with is. Oh, uh... I don't think we're gonna remember it. But but oh. yeah, basically he gets uh he gets paired with like a young black boy who is just hilarious. <laughs> that kid is so funny.
0: He's a highlight for me. Like, yeah.
1: Like, he has
0: so many brilliant lines. He keeps calling like I think he keeps calling he calls Paul Rod's characters like characters in Ben Affleck films. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he
1: randomly yeah yeah. Constantly calls him yeah, like very much in line with like kind of Robert Downey Jr.'s reindeer games joke for Loki or whatever is I mean, that he kind does of... call of reindeer games? Does he call him reindeer, yeah, he reindeer games? Yeah, 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 but like it's yeah he just constantly references <laughs> Ben Affleck's roles before Ron's character. Um, but yeah, so they basically get paired with them, and, and so yeah, when they haven't when they finally have a great time or whatever, yeah, you get a montage of Mister Blue Sky by ELO, um, "Rock You Like a Hurricane" by Scorpions is used at one point, <laughs> I believe when Sean William Scott's character rocks up at one point. It might even be really early on in the film, but so he's a massive fan of like hard rock and in particular Kiss. And because of his obsession with Kiss, we get Detroit Rock City, we get Love Gun, which is when he introduces Kiss to the the kid he mentors. He, he's mentoring
0: a kid, and he and he details to him how the song is is a metaphor for his penis.
1: Yeah, yeah, and how Kiss <laughs> are actually cool, despite not being cool in the two thousands anymore. He tries to persuade this kid that they are actually cool. I believe the line is, "They wear makeup to get chicks," <laughs> and the love guns actually is dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kiss on one of those bands. I always forget. I actually really like them. Yeah, they, I actually really like Kiss.
0: They, they they cause a weird associative thing with like their songs. but like they have loads of songs. You're like, oh, that was Kiss. Yeah. Oh, that was Kiss. I do not realise.
1: Yeah. They're much more famous than you realise. Like, you definitely never heard some Kiss songs before. And, yeah, I forget how much I actually actually genuinely really like Kiss. So I'm glad this film popped up again to remind me. And actually, at the end of the film, basically, Paul Rudd sings uh, Beth by Kiss to Beth, his ex-partner. Oh,
0: really? I didn't realise that was the actual...
1: Yeah, yeah. Ah. And the live-action role players whip out, like, their mandolin and, like, their hand, <laughs> their hand drums and stuff like that. And they do, like, an impromptu kind of, like acoustic cover of Beth.
0: Oh that's I didn't even and know he that's improv- the, of the song he yeah.
1: improvises the lyrics, yeah. Yeah, it's Kiss's ballad.
0: And also they so at, at the end, like they they it ends at like at one of the big LARPing events and they have to form their own sort of team to to join and they all like dress as like sort of knock off Kiss members.
1: Yes they do, yeah, yeah, yeah. They come from, like, the... they hail from the land of, like... Kiss My Anthea. Yeah, <laughs> yes, It. yes. Kiss My Anthea. Knowledge. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the big thing, really, to talk about from this film is the incredible running gag that goes throughout the film um, of the song titled Love Take Me Down to the Streets. Um, so it's claimed by A.D. Miles' character Martin, who's one of the guys who works at Sturdy Wings (laughs) he's like this kind of, yeah, very kind of scrotty looking ginger dude, Um, and it's claimed by his character to be by Wings I think he at one point doesn't uh, Sean William Scott's character references Kiss, I think and A.D. Miles' character Martin leans over and goes, ah, yeah, and, and, and like, starts talking about music, and he's like, do you know any Wings? they like, love, take me down to the streets. And Paul Reyes' character's like, that's not a song by Wings. But the way he
0: does it as well, it's like. is that way that you, like, if, if you're trying to suggest a song to someone, they should know, you just do it quickly, yeah, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. can get it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's, that's not a song by Kiss. Uh, I think it is. No, it is not. It's not a song by anyone. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. I'll look into it, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, in the initial scene, he sings the the song and claims it's one of their hits from the seventies, and um, and then so that that's pretty funny. And then later on in the movie, they go for a camping trip, and uh, David Wayne, the director, makes a cameo as a guy as the guy who can't play guitar when you're at like a campsite or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, the guy so who just whips is, it out. And he yeah, yeah, so he whips out his guitar and he's starting to sing Kumbaya, but he can't find the right key <coughs> or whatever, and he's playing it all incorrectly and stuff. And uh, Ad Miles' character Martin walks up to him and says. Um, Oh, man, you got a guitar. You know any KISS? And then David Wayne catches. Oh, sorry. It walks over to him and says, Oh, great, you got a guitar. You know any Wings? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Love, take down <laughs> to the streets. And starts strumming up on his guitar. Oh, it's so good. I love it so much.
0: It's like a parallel universe where like, this is
1: actually... everyone to know this song. Everyone knows this song apart from Paul Rudd and Sean Williams' Scott. And then, incredibly, it doesn't rear its head at all anymore in the film. It's just those two great, like really funny gags. And then over the credits, we get Love Take Me Down to the Streets. Seemingly by Wings, the full studio version, and it's incredible. It's one of the most accurate impressions of an (laughs) artist I think I've ever heard in my entire life. It's incredible. Not only in terms of the singer sounding exactly like Paul McCartney, but that song sounds exactly like a fucking Wings song.
0: Yeah, it's, got, yeah, it's even got like the weird McCartney's like really weird scream he does. Yeah. And, like, yeah. The, oh, it's just, it's uh, like, If I didn't know, I'd be like, oh, it's probably because McCartney got that thing where he has these odd songs so that you're like, oh, okay.
1: So, like, that could be easily. Yeah. Easily. Could just be some thing. sort of like Wings deep cut that's yeah, yeah. been missed on some sort of late yeah. 70s album or whatever. But yeah, no, it's. um. So, it's actually credited to Not Wings. Is that the name of the band? By the name of the band, yeah. yeah. So it was written by um, a guy called Charles Ganser, who worked with the composer on the film. And he is previously of the indie band Governor. Oh, okay. yeah. And so, yeah, he's also worked with... Uh, he's done loads of song music for um, David Wayne's stuff before. And uh, the other artist who's credited as helping to co-write it and play on it is uh, Amy Miles, who's done music for a lot of, like, Amy Polar stuff. Oh! And, and she's also... I think she's been part of the band on SNL a couple of times. Oh, okay. Um, nice. And then Ad Miles has a writing credit because he came up with the name. So I think in improv. Oh, was it improv? Because a lot of the film is improv. Because it was during it? the writer's strike.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So so Paul Rudd and, and Sean William Scott and Ad Miles and that a lot. There's a lot of improv lines.
0: Oh. Wow. And I think
1: you can tell That's there's really some improv running jokes because there's also the joke where every time an actor's name is mentioned, there's a close up of Sean William Scott's character and he's like, "Great actors, they're great actors." <laughs> and that happens about four or five times throughout the film as well, which is amazing. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, A.D. Miles has a, has a credit for coming up with the song title, because I think he obviously just improv this, like, fake wings. Even the
0: name sounds accurate.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's performed by a guy called Joey uh, Curatolo, who's a Paul McCartney sounder-like who performs in the most successful Beatles tribute band, Rain. Oh! They're, in, they're incredibly successful. They tour all around the world, oh, okay. playing, playing gigs as the I mean, Beatles. So, I mean, I mean... A, it makes kind of sense, but even so, it's like,
0: how do you sound that much yeah. like... Yeah,
1: and he played Paul oh. McCartney in the Broadway musical Beatlemania as well. Oh, okay. Right. So yeah, he's he's incredible. Like, his impression is just so spot on. And that song is... And the thing that gets me the most about it is it's a great song. <laughs> I genuinely couldn't stop listening to that for a while as well. That It just, like, just sells the gag so well. <laughs> it's such a good, complete... Ridiculous gag yeah. that just has the best bow possible tied yeah. on it at the end of the film. It's an incredible payoff,
0: yeah, and the way that it comes just over the credits, it's not even like it's not even like presented like a sort of hard land. It's just like over the credits when you've, you've already forgotten about the, like the joke.
1: Yeah, That's so good. It's amazing, and and it also goes deeper. Right, it somehow goes deeper. So these are some other things I discovered in uh, David Wayne's later film, *Wonderlust*. The song rears its head again. Oh, yeah? It's used in that film apparently, <laughs> so there's some weird continuity with the joke that the that Love Take me down to the streets also plays in Wonderlust, and um, the logo for Sturdy Wings, you know the 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 group who do the kid adoption yeah, stuff, yeah. it's like two hands making the wing symbol, and it's identical to the um, cover of the Wings compilation album Wingspan Hits in History. <laughs> So the Sturdy Wings logo is oh, literally God. like the, the the hands over each other making the wings shape. Was this whole film written backwards from this joke? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably. Oh man, it's, it's so good. And you can buy loads of t-shirts with the Sturdy Wings logo. Like of the fictional child support oh, really? group in this movie. Yeah, you can buy loads of t-shirts with those on. And um, so yeah, uh, it's just great. I love that it goes even deeper than what you think. <laughs> And so, yeah, Charles Ganser, the guy who wrote it, he said about writing it, because there's a um, a really good Vanity Fair article about the song, I think. Charles Ganser in it says that he wanted to make a silly love song about going to see a prostitute. He wanted to bring, like, that Paul McCartney silliness <laughs> to the song. And uh, and he, he's quoted as saying, I wanted to bring this light, cheery McCartney view to, you know, being a John. Good, good pun. Yeah, hell yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um... And what I think is incredible as well is that you would be forgiven in thinking after watching it if you didn't know enough about Wings that this was actually a Wings song and that the joke was maybe that Paul Rudd's character doesn't know Wings well enough or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a few people have actually ran with it. But I think genuinely some people don't realise this isn't a Wings song. So there's multiple uploads to YouTube as Love Take Me Down to the Street by Wings and a few websites including songmeanings.com, lyricsmania.com, and ultimateguitartabs.com all list it as Love Take Me Down to the Streets by is, this Wings. There's
0: some legit websites as well. So
1: pe- people have actually fallen for this and think it's an actual Wings song. <laughs> I think that people have like taken the song and uploaded it online as, as a joke and credited it to Wings and then other people have come across it and think it's actually a Wings song. <laughs> And so now the joke has actually sprawled into this real life thing of people thinking that Love Take Me Down, da- some people have actually been tricked in the real world into thinking that Love Take Me Down is a real song by Wings. All it needs is for McCartney to actually do a cover of it, oh. and then then the joke will be circular. I love though that there's people out there like A.D. Miles' character, who might potentially be like, oh, do you know Love Take Me Down to the Street by Wings? Oh, so it's like a meta joke, so it sounds meta. <laughs> because they don't know that it's not a Wings song. Yeah. <laughs> because it's been shared around online as an actual Wings song.
0: Yeah. How is it credited in the film and on the soundtrack? Is it credited to the actual people? or is it, is it like- It's credited to
1: the actual people under the, under the band name Not Wings.
0: Ah, uh, okay. It's such a... Uh, it's one of those jokes which I really
1: love. It's so indulgent and so stupid. It's ridiculous. <laughs> just... Why Wings? <laughs> but just please go and listen to it. Just f- track it down and listen to it because it's amazing. And watch Role Models if you haven't. It's such a funny movie.
0: You've been listening to Sink or Swim, a podcast by Prentice Mitchell and Jules Pistano. If you want more from the pod, you can find us at Pod, all one word, on Instagram and YouTube, and you can find us at Swim on Facebook.
1: To get in touch, please send us an email at sinkorswimpod at gmail.com. You can listen to this pod wherever you find your podcasts, with full episodes and clips going up on YouTube at a later date as well.